0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Morning. Let's start with some prayer. Father, I thank you um, that you are a merciful and a gracious, kind and loving Lord. Um, The grace that sought us uh, as we sang that Lord is the same grace that is pursuing us today and desiring us to be shaped into your image, desiring us to be draw near to you so that we can have a sense of your presence and, and have joy and have peace in this fallen world and in our lives, Lord. And you've given us so many wonderful means by which we can draw near to you. Uh, one of those being worship and song and uh, we get to participate that on a weekly basis. Uh, the being, one of those being our, our church family and those around us, Lord, to encourage and exhort us towards you. And and you've also given us your word, Lord, you've spoken and you've revealed yourself directly to your creatures. So I pray this morning as we consider both song um, and Advent and your word, that all of our thoughts would at the end of the day be centered around who you are and drawing near to you as you draw near to us, Lord. And give us that focus and give us that attention. In your name I pray, amen. Yeah, we're talking about this advent series um, Advent just comes from a Latin word It means to come T- traditionally in Christian circles the four weeks leading up to um Christmas we celebrate uh the uh the advent or the first coming of Jesus and then uh a lot of times on Christmas we look forward to the second coming of jesus to the uh, to the the next advent so uh we this morning we're 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 doing that through the carols and partnering with the, a handful of churches in the Denver area. Uh, we have an Advent guide. If uh, you're visiting you wanna grab one, uh, we have a, a handful of extras over there. Feel free to pick one up um, for free. Just take that. Um, they're encouraging little guides that are walking through uh, a, uh, the, the deep theology of Christmas carols, the deep theology of Christmas carols. And last week, I sort of touched on the reality that that song is actually one of the ways that we're filled with the spirit. And we read in Ephesians, we talked about a little bit this morning in prayer, but song is one of the ways that we're, we're filled with the spirit. And I thought it was appropriate and I heard some feedback, some uh, people it's very much relate to the reality that like it's a little frantic uh, during the holidays. <laughs> I think that was the general theme, right? <laughs> Dave's just laughing, like, like, it's, like, like of course it is, like it's just, it is a little, a little frantic, and so what's beautiful about song is that because of our little phones, because of our computers, because of the satellite radio in our car, we have access to music pretty much anytime we want. We have access to music whenever we want, and so as we consider the deep theology of these Christmas carols, we're actually considering God Himself, and we're we're using a means—it's called a means of grace—we're using a means of song in worship for us to draw near and draw closer to the Lord. So I am a little bit curious if, did anyone else listen to Oh Holy Night last week after the sermon? Yeah, I've got a couple of head shakes over here. Uh, did you Did you listen to the Carrie Underwood one? Oh man, I gotta know, that's a... Oh, nice, okay, yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, it's, you, it's interesting that you mentioned that. My new favorite version of the song we're gonna talk about this morning, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It used to be from the DJ Cascade, um, but now, don't shake your head. <laughs> but now uh, it's, it's Inya. Inya crushes it on the, yeah. It's for, and she sings like one of the, the last half of the song, she sings it in the original Latin. Yeah, see, it's cool. So, so I don't know, um, I don't know what, yeah. I'll have, I'm, this is like kind of the fun part for me about this series is every week I just scroll through all the different artists and try to find like the song that kind of resonates with me uh, that I enjoy. So it was kind of uh, neat to stumble across uh, Enya's version of the song this week. But it's, uh, the, the, the song, last week we were talking about the idea that God values his people so much. He cares so much for you. Uh, There's a line in the song that the the soul felt its worth. He cares so much for you that he would come and leave the presence of the Father to to step into this broken world, to live a perfect life, to die a death that we deserve and to be resurrected again so that he could continue rescuing his people. So we we talked about just the reality of, of Christ coming down and, and caring so much for his people that he would step into this world for us. And, and it, was a, it was an encouraging song. And, and so we're getting a little different song with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, it's a little bit different disposition. It's sort of this idea, it's a, it's a song that's sort of speaking and singing from Israel's past. So we'll have to look at the story of God and say, where, where do the lyrics, where does the song fit into what's going on in, in the whole grand narrative of scripture? It's a story uh, of Israel's past where they're longing for, they're, they're sort of crying out, they're, they desire, they're in, a, they're, in a, they're in a terrible place and they're just saying, oh come, Come, oh Emmanuel. We, we have all these promises. We have this, these realities about who you are, but we, we don't yet see that. Yes. We, we desire to see that. And so, as we go forward in this song, I think it's a beautiful song because there's a handful of things we share in common with Israel, with God's people. There's some things that you and I desire. There's some things that you and I long for that we don't yet see. And so we're gonna talk about two things that we share in common with Israel and one thing that we don't. Two things that we share in common with Israel as we sort of walk through this song, we'll look at it just a couple of verses and one thing that we don't. And the two things that we share are exile and hope. Exile and hope. And the one thing that we don't share in common with Israel of old is Emmanuel. And I'll, hopefully I'll explain that and um, it won't sound heretical. So if you're wondering what I mean by that. Um, so yeah, let's start with, let's start with the, the one thing that, uh, uh, the two things that we share, let's start with exile. And now, like I said, we kind of have to, to put this in the story. The first line of the, of the song, and we're gonna sing it after this, is O come, O come Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And so we have to say, okay, where is captive Israel? Where is Israel captive? And we've been using this sort of six act version of uh, the grand story of the Bible as just a way to sort of understand what's going on. So we uh, uh, we have an image of it. Mine, uh, like I said, mine was not pretty. And so someone else made a pretty one. And so now we have one that looks a little prettier, but it's just a, it's just a, a simple tool that gives us sort of a, a six act story of everything that's happened from the Genesis to Revelation. And so the, the down arrow is creation and the fact that God desired his people to dwell with him. God, God planted his people in the garden, walked with him in the cool of the day, saw them face to face and said, you now bear my image, spread that image across all of the world. And he equipped them to do that. God, God came down and, and equipped them to do that. But we, we kind of know the story. They rebelled against God. So we have creation, we have rebellion. And when they rebelled against God, what did he do? He, he cast them out. He said, you no longer can be in my presence because you are, you are tainted with sin. You have rebelled against me. You have rejected everything that's good. And the only appropriate response that I can have as a holy God to a, to a people who are, who are good and right and holy that have now turned and rejected God is cast them out of his presence. So they're cast out of the garden. And the good news is that the story doesn't stop there. God, God knows that they have rejected him, yet he promises, he promises to restore things. He promises to crush the head of the serpent. He promises to, to take away the sin and bring back the fellowship between God and man. He makes that promise. And that's, a, that's sort of the, the arrow forward towards the cross there. He makes that promise that he's going to restore all these things. And that promise in our Bible gets developed uh, through most of it, uh, through the Old Testament. And as we walk through the Old Testament, the, the most common way that that sort of takes shape is in the people of Israel. These are, God actually calls them my son, that the whole people are sort of, are sort of God's children and so what does God do with his, with his new son? He restores them back into a land where God is now present again in the temple. It's not like the garden. They actually have to go through sacrifices. Um, they have to wear certain things. They have to construct a, a tabernacle, the tab- tabernacle that turns into a temple. But, they, but now God has planted them in a place again where he is present And what does Israel, the son of God do? Rejects him again, rejects him again. So the only appropriate thing for God to do is to cast them out again. And so now, even though God has given these promises, it's expanded a a ton through the Old Testament. There's a lot of um, just sort of depth and information on, on how God is gonna bring about this Messiah God's gonna bring about this, this true son that will actually restore the relationship again. But at this time in the story, at this time in the story with the arrow pointing towards the cross, they've been cast out and they are now in exile. They're in exile in Babylon. They're, they're no longer home in the presence of God. They're, they're, they're cast out away from his presence. So that's sort of where we are in the story. That's where, that's where Israel is in, the, in sort of the grand narrative of what, what is happening in scripture. And the song kind of picks up on this and the song is aware of sort of this, this grand narrative. It actually says that they mourn in lonely exile here until the son of God appear. Amen. Israel mourns in lonely exile here until the son of God appear. So they're trying to give us a sense. The song is trying to give us a sense to put us in the place of the people of Israel. And I, and I think about uh, even the way Isaiah describes their exile. He, he, God tells Isaiah to just go walk around naked for like a year. And he's like, while you're doing that, tell everyone that's how you're gonna get cast out of the land. And you're like, oh, okay, that's like a little intense. But when, when, the, when invading armies came into Israel, they weren't like, hey, so next week around Tuesday, we're gonna ship you out to Babylon. If you could just get your things together, um, wrap up what you need to wrap up here. This is a, the buses will show up at this time. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, it was, they, this was an army that came in. Oftentimes they're surrounding the city, starving the people in the city. They're they're enslaving them. They have no regard for their person. They have no regard for anything that they have. And, And if they have regard for something that they have, they'll take it because that's what they came to do. And then they intentionally drag them off to cities and separate them from people that they know so that they would assimilate into the culture to where they went. So they basically rip everything that is their identity from them and pull them off into other places so in, some, in a lot of cases, you would, you would be a slave. You would have lost all of your family. Anything that would have been familiar to you would be totally gone. And you're, in, in a lot of cases for Israel, you're in a, in a land where you don't even know any of the language. That's what exile is. They're forced, exile is just a, a simple definition is forced absence from their home. A forced absence from their home. So this line is really picking up on the grief of that that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Yes, Lord. So how do we share that in common with Israel? How do we share exile in common with Israel? Most of us woke up in a comfortable place with with more familiar people around us than normal too. <laughs> um, that's the, the beauty of our family. If we think about it in light of the sort of the grand story of God, you and I know exile because we're still separated from our true home. You and I are still separated from the place where there is Genuine familiarity and peace and joy in the very presence of the one that we are made in his image. In a sense, you and I are still in exile. We have yet to come to the new creation, the home that God intended, where there was fullness of joy, where every tear is wiped away. And we get to see God face to face for who he is. We we share in common with Israel sort of this feeling of exile. And it may not show up as being in a place where you don't speak the language. It shows up in our feeling distant from God Himself. It shows up in the pain and in the suffering of all the, the realities of living in a broken world with sin, with sin in myself, with sin in others with brokenness, with loss, COVID. This is what it feels like to be in exile from the very presence of God. They mourn in lonely exile here. So think about that. What in your life makes you feel most distant from God. Maybe it's you sometimes. I feel that. I feel distant from the Lord when I make just poor choices and a lot of times just suffer the consequences of that. I feel distant. I feel the exile. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's death. Death is the most unnatural thing in all of creation. It should make us feel exiled. It should make us feel separated from God. we share that in common with israel we mourn in lonely exile here until the son of god appear yes lord we know what it feels like but it's not the only thing we share in common with israel we share hope we share hope with them as well. I love the chorus. I'd love to meet the person who wrote some of these lines. I think it's, you know, it's hard to trace some of these things back, but people think that the, the song, it, the lines, the lyrics for this song go back over a thousand years. And music didn't come and it didn't become popular about 150 years ago. But the, the lines in the song go back potentially over a thousand years. People were, were chanting these things in, in Latin. And the chorus says, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. It's, it's a repetition of hope. And I know Bridget read it earlier. Emmanuel was something that we, that we would call Jesus. He is God with us. And uh, it said in Matthew, it was everything that happened to Jesus to show up so that he would be called Emmanuel. And I like in our ESV Bibles in parentheses, it says, this means God with us. <laughs> it's like, in case you don't uh, speak Hebrew, this is what it means, <laughs> uh, so I pre- I appreciate that Matthew just kind of throws that in there for us. But this is actually a promise that shows up in Isaiah chapter seven. He's promising as he as he as they look forward, is they're going into exile. Isaiah saying you're going to be taken from your homes, you're going to be taken from everything that's comfortable. You're going into exile, but I'm pro- God is faithful to His promises. God is gonna keep his promises. And even if you share in that feeling of exile, you share in that feeling of hopelessness, you share in that that feeling of just being separated from God, he's saying there's a real promise there. He says, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come. Emmanuel will come to you, O Israel. Amen. God in the flesh will show up and begin to restore all things. And I like that this is the chorus because it's each, sort of each line of each verse of the song, which is interesting. The worship team this morning was like, well, we have this verse or this verse. And he's like, well, actually there's like seven verses. Um, it's, it's kind of a long song and we're gonna focus on uh, just the, uh, the first verse And I think it's the third verse is the one, um, but there's there's some variations to it, there's some differences, but the, the, the general theme of, oh come, oh come, is in each verse that's sort of crying out and saying, remember these promises. Remember that there's hope in these realities about who God is and what he's doing and the fact that he has promised, as we move through the story of God, we're pointing forward. That's where the arrow is, I guess it's pointing that way. The arrow is pointing forward to what God is gonna do and he's saying, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to captive Israel. So we share also, we share also in the hope. Let's look at Isaiah 8. I think I have it on the slides over there. This is how this is described when they go into exile. He's talking about Israel going into exile. This is in Isaiah. This is 700 years before Jesus shows up. This is before they're brought into exile. But he's, he's giving them, sort of expanding on this idea of the promises of God. He's saying, this is where your hope should be grounded. This is where you should rejoice in when you're, when you're struggling with difficult things in the world. This is where you should be grounded. In verse 21, he's talking about them going into exile. says, they will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the Earth, will behold distress and darkness, the gloom of ang- anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. He's describing the reality of their exile. He goes on to say, "But, here's the promises: There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish." for Israel, for his son. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. These are the, the tribes that were, that were taken off into exile. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And he talks about the people who are in darkness, the people who are in exile. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. saying, it, exile is darkness. Exile is separation from God. Exile is not being in our true home where we're face to face with God himself. But God is promising that light will shine on us. God is promising that, that uh, the sun will rise and the star will shine on our hearts and, and God will see the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Emmanuel, God with us. He rejoice, Israel, even as you're in this exile because there is hope to come. There's something that you can hope in and there's something that we can hope in. I think this is sort of picked up on in, in one of the verses. It says, O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here." Now I had to kind of, day spring is sort of like an old King James Version interpretation um, of, a, of a verse out of Luke that's talking about this reality. Uh, I think our ESV translates it as the sunrise or something like that. But it's this, it's this reality that we talked about in Isaiah, the promise of darkness, and now a light will shine. And, he, and so now that they know those promises, they're saying this is the promise that God has promised to bring light and to shine it on upon us. The song is putting us into the story and says, "'Oh, come thou day spring.'" Come, light that is going to shine upon us. Reveal yourself to your people. Come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Warm our hearts. Cheer our spirits. Give us hope by your coming, by your advent. And I think this is, as we sort of move along in the story of the Bible, they go into exile. God actually brings them back into the land. They, they rebuild the temple in order to, 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 be, uh, to be able to go through sort of the, the things that they need to go through to be into the presence of God, the sacrifices, um, all the, the clothing, uh, the, the, they, they find the law and they're like, oh, hey, we should read this. Uh, and God has actually structured this a certain way. And so they, they actually are brought back into the land and it shouldn't be of any surprise anyone's taught Old Testament Sunday school, um, they reject the Lord again. And right before the, the ultimate rejection of God is them putting him on the cross. But right before this day spring shows up on the scene, we actually get John the Baptist. John the Baptist is sort of the last in the, the, if you're looking at the story of God, he's sort of the, the, the last one, the tip of the spear as the arrow moves this way towards the cross. And Zechariah has a, a sort of a prophecy that he prophesies in Luke 1. So this is before Jesus has shown up on the scene where he gets, he gets excited about this reality that light is beginning to shine on those who are in exile. Light is beginning to shine on those who are in exile. Luke 1, started in verse 76. So these are weaving together some of the realities that uh, Emmanuel is is the child that's born of the virgin. It'll be called God with us. And the promise in Isaiah that he will be a light that shines in a dark place. Verse 76, this is Zechariah prophesying about what is to come because of his child, John the Baptist, who is sort of preparing the way for Emmanuel, preparing the way for God to be with us. And he says, you child, his child, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High for why you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sin because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunshine shall visit us from on high. Or in the King James Version, you get the wherefore the day spring. Here is God. He's saying, look, the Lord is coming. God is going to be with us. And and the, the song is trying to put us into the story. And it's saying, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come. There is hope for our exile. And it's pleading with the day spring. It's pleading with the, the light of the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ to come and cheer our hearts. This is the hope that we share with Israel. We share this reality that we have promises of God that will have yet to be fulfilled that we long for. We share this reality with promises of God that have yet to be fulfilled that we, we long for. But it's those promises, when, when, when we're in our darkest moments, it's those promises that the song is trying to say, rejoice. Rejoice, because he keeps those promises. Those are things you can ground yourself in those are things that sort of cut through the fog and the busyness and the chaos of life that can even cut through death itself and say someday, someday even the, the, sh- the way the song describes it, and drive away the shades of night and pierce the clouds and bring us light. Someday God will drive away all the shades of night and pierce the clouds and bring us light. You and I share in that hope. You and I share in that hope with Israel. But there is one thing we don't share. One thing we don't share, and that's Emmanuel. And what do I mean when I say that? We're further along the story of God. There was all sorts of promises made to the people of Israel. This reality that God would someday bring his people back into his presence, back into a new creation. And the Bible describes who Jesus is and what he's done as the beginning of that new creation. We actually have God with us, we actually have a, a, a second Adam a new humanity that's already begun in Jesus Christ himself. So now we actually have Jesus sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning, bringing the kingdom and making God present with his people even today. There's a reason why we don't crowd around a little temple and do sacrifices and go to see the presence of God. Because of what Emmanuel has done, because of what God has done, he is present with you today. This is the new temple, his people, you. He's present in you so that he can make God known to you. He he wants to begin that new creation work. He wants to begin to pull you out of exile and to give you a taste of what it feels like to be in the face-to-face presence of God He wants to remind you of the promises and not just of the promises that are to come, but all the things that he's accomplished in his his first advent, his life, death, and resurrection. And I think it's appropriate, Matthew, what Bridget read earlier, begins with this reality that God is with us. It's fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. We're, We're beginning to restore everything that was broken in the fall because God has shown up in the flesh In the very end of Matthew, he reminds us of the same thing. He bookends his entire gospel with the reality that now that we have Emmanuel, we have Jesus in the flesh, he is now with you. I think I start in verse, let's go to 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And how does he end this? Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Israel didn't get to hear that. They were cast out. God was still working and was going to fulfill his promise but we don't have that in common with Israel. Now that Jesus has shown up in the flesh, things are dramatically changed so that you can get a little taste of what it means to be in God's presence and to be back in your home in the new creation presence of God. We touched on this in Hebrews, even a few weeks ago, and I thought that was a, kind of appropriate reminder of what we don't have in common. In Hebrews 8 verse 10, he's talking about a lot of the covenant and a lot of the way sort of like things work differently now because we have Emmanuel, God with us. He says for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. These are God's new son Jesus, Israel, all of us who are united to him are a part of that family now. We are, we are now Israel in the sense that we are connected to God. We are the people of God. He says, I will put the law into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I'm actually not gonna write it on stone, in a, in a fiery mountain, I'm gonna take the very words of God and implant it in their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And they shall not teach each one of his neighbor and each one of his brothers saying, hey, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. From the least of them to the greatest. This is something we do not share in common with Israel you and I get to experience the very presence of God through the work of the spirit and Jesus Christ sitting on his throne, mediating that to us today. This is why we have songs that can remind us and draw us into God himself. This is why it's possible for us to be broken, to be sinful, and as Hebrew says, to approach the throne of grace with confidence. When we feel in exile, when we feel separated yes, as some of the volunteers probably do right now <laughs> um, it's like you have them all or you don't. you know It's like dominoes that, that fall. Uh, so you could mediate that as like soon. Um, that very much sidetracked me as well. but that, that's a great illustration for how competent Jesus is because it's not, it's not about how on top of things we are. It's not about how uh, messed up you did the last week or what you're fearing in the future or broken sinful things in the world. Like all of those things probably seem like too much because they are. It's about Jesus sitting on his throne, doing what he came to do in drawing you into the presence of God. That's where real comfort is. And yeah, Israel could look forward to the promises and say, God will do this, I know he will do this. And there's a, a, there's a real reality where we still are in the presence of, of sin and the brokenness in the world. And we can say, God will restore all that. I know he will do all that but we don't share in common the reality that Jesus is today like he wasn't before bringing in his kingdom. And that's sort of the next arrow after the cross. He is today bringing in his kingdom, drawing his people into his presence. And he can say with a straight face when he goes back to heaven because he pours out the Holy Spirit, I will be with you from now until the end of the age. (laughs) That's what we get to experience. And he mediates, he enables us to experience his presence through all these different means, through worship, through song, through prayer, through the word, through our community. These are all things that are ultimately meant to draw us into God himself. So that's my prayer for us in this Advent series. I have never been part of a church that stopped to sort of walk through some songs um, I'm enjoying it. I hope you are. And I hope as you sing some of these songs, I hope as you listen to some of these songs, whether it's um, what we sang last week, oh Holy Night, whether it's longing and suffering and looking forward and sharing with that with Israel, that all of these things would ultimately draw you into God's presence and remind you of what you have in Christ and in the gospel. So let's pray and ask the Lord to do that. Father, I thank you. Thank you for how gracious and merciful and wise and powerful and majestic and good and beautiful you are. Man, we just get little tiny tastes of that. And for some of us, we're willing to rearrange our lives to be drawn closer to you. And Lord, you put us all in unique situations that are articulated by you and for us and for our good, Lord. I pray that you would help us see ourselves in those situations and see you as capable of bringing us into your presence so that we could have joy and peace that could have been explained by nothing else but the supernatural work of your spirit. Lord, I pray that the busyness of this season would be a chance for you to display your glory in the people here today. That we would have so much peace and joy because of how capable you are. And that would be a light to those around us. So I thank you for this time. In your name I pray, amen.